You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas, and joining me as always from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, uh, it's episode 300 of the Co-Main Event Podcast, but I guess it's lucky that we didn't have any big plans because, you know, in kind of classic fashion, the MMA world got its whole shit broke last night about 5 p.m. in the one true time zone, both on Easter Sunday and April Fool's Day. Yeah, the April Fool's Day is really where it becomes a tough sell. Hard to get people to believe that the big breaking news is for real. Yeah, and also like just on a national holiday. Just can't even take can't even take 10 minutes to drive up to my parents' house for Easter dinner without uh looking at my phone and seeing that uh Tony Ferguson has dropped out of his scheduled uh lightweight title fight. Are we putting that in quotes? The real title. Real title, real lightweight title fight with Habib Nurmagomedov. Could be worse. Could could have happened on a Tuesday. Then where would we be? That's you know, a lot to their credit, a lot of the co main event universe's first response to this terrible breaking news was, Hey man, happened on a Sunday. That's that's a positive as far as we're concerned. Yeah. I don't know what more we can ask for while still taking into acknowledgement just the wacky, weird, heartbreaking way this sport works. Yeah, we'll talk about that at length, I think, today. Uh, update, Ben, are we still doing the Brunch of Champions streaming event for our Patreon subscribers this Friday? Schedule permitting. Still looking at some scheduling problems I might have with that. But I'll tell you what, I'll make you a promise. If you're a Patreon patron of the Co-Main Event Podcast, this week there will be some exclusive content that you are not going to want to miss. Now, it may come in the form of the Brunch of Champions weigh-in show where we'll both get out the, the scale and the towel. Not doing that. Going to totally do that. Eat some, eat some pastries. Check our weights. How about this? While you weigh in, I'll stand there with a clipboard. Listen, you're not, you're not getting sure off that, this easy. Make sure we get an accurate weight for Ben and folks. If the scheduling makes that impossible this week and we have to push it to another week, I got something else, let's say, up my sleeve that patrons are not going to want to miss. Behind the scenes, this has been a real emotional roller coaster ride. Because for you, for you, it has been a real up and down. For you, because you scheduled it for Friday, and then almost immediately sent me an email saying you were going to be out of town. And then before I even had a chance to mull over that news and respond, you emailed me again saying, "No, no, wait, we're back on. I don't have to go out of town." And so now here we are recording the show, and I teed you up to say that we were going to do it, and you surprised me again by saying, "Schedule permitting." This is a I, would you say that this is the second biggest surprise in recent memory that you've had to deal with? You want to talk about your Boy, surprise birthday party this weekend? Not really. Speaking of teeing you up, the look I on Chad Dundas' face. I just did it again, didn't I? Where he walks into a brewery in Kellogg, Idaho, thinking that he's just going to have lunch with his family while they're there visiting a water park for the weekend. And instead, he sees about a dozen of his closest friends all sitting there waiting for him. My wife really got me. She, yeah. uh,. She blindsided me. She orchestrated this whole thing. Did not expect that. Did not see that coming. You know what? It makes me feel like I just can't trust her. <laughs> That's me the feel takeaway like, here? Makes me feel like I could never trust her. Yeah. She might one day, without my knowledge, sneak up on me 
and plan an event that makes me feel both loved and special. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're having a rad time at a water park. Hey, Ben, you remember back in November when the CME and our longtime sponsors at Fulton Rourke put on the great Movember grooming and styling contest, offering podcast listeners the chance to nab a free Fulton and Rourke prize pack if they grew some awesome facial hair to, keep, to help raise awareness for men's health issues? How could I forget that when it was probably the single greatest thing to ever happen to me? Not just you, but the greatest thing ever to happen to many of our listeners. It just so happens that this week we got a review in the emails from Eric Murphy. Now, this is totally unsolicited, by the way. We did not even ask for this, and he just sent us an e a lengthy email, I will say, explaining how awesome all of the stuff that Fulton and Rourke sent him was when he was one of our winners back in November. Uh, ben, why don't you read a little bit of that? I will, with pleasure, Chad. Here's what Eric Murphy had to say about Fulton and Rourke's two-in-one shampoo and body wash. Quote, stop everything you are doing and get this. Just do it now, right now. It will make whatever generic electric creamy blue goopy shit you're using smell like a geriatric perfume collection. This is the promised land and the nectar is sweet. Whatever MMA god they bled out to make this was well worth the sacrifice. It smells amazing and foams up just the right amount. If you own a human body, you owe it to yourself to try this. My showers went from a mundane duty to a damn day spa. It's a great value and the smell has to be experienced to be blue. Believed. After my very first use, I literally, th literally thought, oh yeah, I'm going to buy this forever. See, we tried to tell you guys. We've been trying to tell you guys. If Eric Murphy's superlatives have nudged you off the fence, just go to FultonRourke.com and check out all of their fine men's grooming products. As always, you can use the coupon code CME for 15% off your total purchase. Again, that's FultonAndRourke.com. We got music again this week from our friend The Fifth Element, a music producer from Fort Worth, Texas. If you like what you hear, you can check him out over on Twitter at The Fifth Element or Facebook.com slash The Fifth Element or SoundCloud.com slash The Fifth Element Official. And as you know, that's the word the with an A. As always, if you enjoy the Co-Main Event Podcast, you can do us a serious solid by rating, reviewing, or subscribing to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you listen to the podcast on. That stuff really does help our ranking and our rating, so if you've got some time, please help us out and write us a positive review. Ben, how's the Patreon doing? We up to like 10,000 subscribers yet? You want, do you, is that your actual guess for how many subscribers we're at? No, that's not my actual guess. I bet we're at like 630. You consistently underestimate us. We're at 682. I don't underestimate us. I underestimate the tremendous listening audience. Well, maybe I, we, it's I could time never for you to underestimate stop. us because we would continually we're, underperform my expectations. We're within striking distance of 700, which is a good time for me to remind everybody that there will be some awesome content for Patreon subscribers only this week. Patreon.com slash co main event. That's right. That's where they go to sign up. That's it. You nailed it. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, Tony Ferguson blew out his knee, bending over to pick up a lucky penny or whatever. And now it's Habib Nurmagomedov versus Max Holloway at UFC 223. Why not? Because what this sport needed right now was another crazy last-minute injury replacement. And in round number two, because nothing happens in a vacuum, we'll discuss how this move might affect others, including but not limited to... Conor McGregor, remember him? Brian Ortega, the winner of Frankie Edgar versus Cub Swanson, and also the entire lightweight and featherweight divisions. And in round number three, last we checked, Rose Namajunas and Joanna Jacek 
were just quietly and professionally going about their business of putting on a rematch for the strawweight title, which makes us feel like we shouldn't say anything or really even look in their direction for fear that one of them might spot something glittering on the ground in front of them and think, what is that? A lucky penny? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Cameron Chapman. He writes, hypothetical scenario. Pretty Tony and Joe Lauzen both lose this weekend. You, an MMA shit-eating wild man, stroll into the hotel lobby bar at 3 a.m. after the fights to find Joe and Pretty Tony sitting alone at opposite ends of the bar. With whom do you sit beside, order two beers, and commiserate? Please note that in this scenario, all of Pretty Tony's guys are gone. I also assume for this scenario that these either one of these guys were to assume would see it as a positive thing for one of us to sit down there and buy him a couple of beers and try to talk to them about the loss that just happened <laughs> i th- i think in cameron chapman's scenario yes that is the case however in real life you you may find that professional fighters are not always quick to like jump up and and offer you daps and bro hugs when you want to walk up to them and talk about the fight they just lost yeah even if i'm buying them as many as two domestic beers so, go figure. But I guess we're to interpret this as who is more deserving of our sympathy in this scenario where they both lose at UFC 223? Is that what we're asking? Yeah, you've got uh, Joe Lausen taking on Chris Grutzenmacher on the... Uh, the Groots. Yeah, big big Groots on the uh, Fox Sports 1 preliminary card. And then uh, over on the main UFC 223 pay-per-view card, you got your uh, pretty Tony Anthony Pettis against Michael Chiesa. Scheduled, I believe, to be the second fight on the broadcast. Uh, so, yeah, both, let's, the, he asks, what this question presupposes is that both these guys lose, and then we get the opportunity to roll up on either one of them and commiserate. Who do you go with? Because I think I'm going to go with Joe Lousen. Okay. Just because he would, what would this be, three in a row if he lost this one? And it's a, against a less heralded opponent. On the prelims, not the main card of the paper. Is that your thinking? He's gonna be. He's gonna need more of a pick me up. I think here, right? If he loses to to Big Gertz, Chris Gertz and Mocker. Okay, maybe. And he, and you know he's gonna like to see to hear it from me. Yeah, I'm I'll gonna ball, be able to. He, he he's, probably, he's been broken down. I'm gonna be able to build him back up. He's sitting there, staring down into his pint of Guinness. Wishing if only Chad Dundas were here. He'd know what to say. Probably to offer lots of technical criticisms, right? Yes. That's what everyone wants to hear. Yeah. How you could tell him how he had the fight in the palm of his hand and he let it slip away. And if only he'd have followed these following Dundasso techniques. How about this, though? Let's say he loses by decision. You roll up and you're like, oh, man, those judges screwed you, man. I totally thought you won that. Yeah. Okay. That, that might actually be the only borderline welcome thing you could say there. I don't disagree with you that Joe Lozon would maybe be more in need of some sympathy in that situation. Also, maybe, you know, possibly a better conversationalist. Yes. Well, in a perfect world, sure. Uh, but you could also argue that if Anthony Pettis were to lose to Michael Chiesa and, you know, then he's riding, I believe, what, two straight after following up that loss to Dustin Poirier. It would be two straight, three of his last four. You could make the case that he had fallen from a greater height. You know, that maybe he hasn't fallen quite as low yet just in terms of, like, where position on the card, uh, exactly where his career is and who he fought and who he lost to. No shame in losing a guy like Michael Chiesa, a uh, very good lightweight. But for a guy who was champion once, 
is that the point? Is is pretty Tony nearing the point where we're starting to feel like we saw all the best stuff that we're going to see? If he starts losing fights like this, then he just becomes another guy in the division. I thought, I think we've, I feel like we've been having this conversation about Anthony Pettis for a while, right? Like you know, previous maybe to the to the loss against Max Holloway back at UFC 206, maybe previously to his most recent uh, fight against Dustin Poirier, which was a TKO due to, you remember, the rib injury that he had back there uh, in November of 2017. Um, so if he goes out there and loses to Chiesa, who's obviously a, a dangerous opponent, like maybe not a guy that we frequently include among like the most elite of the elite at 155 pounds, but um, is a guy who could beat almost anyone on, on any given night, um, it's just another step down the road, like kind of an uncomfortable slide for Anthony Pettis that's been going on really since he lost the title. Uh, and I don't necessarily know that it would be like a turning point or, a, a you know, crossing the Rubicon for pretty Tony Pettis or anything like that. It was, it's just another reminder that, man, he's experienced some tough times recently. Yeah, well, I mean, but Joe Lozon going up against Chris Grusemacher, who himself is riding a two-fight losing streak, and Joe Lozon is favorite, a slight favorite, uh, to win that fight, whereas Pretty Tony, I believe, is a slight underdog against Chiesa, you could argue then that Joe Lozon would be, as far as expectations, suffering a, a bigger fall if he were to lose that one. And plus, if you're just going to ask me who I think would probably be more interested in what I had to say or would make for a more interesting conversation or would be just more capable of putting everything in the proper perspective even after a loss, i say Joe Lozon. That's who I would prefer to have that beer with. Obviously, uh... The Max Holloway and Habib Nurmagomedov and Tony Ferguson's injury has been sucking up a lot of the oxygen in the room that we have to dedicate to UFC 223. Uh, and then also, of course, the women's strawweight title fight, Nama Yunus versus Yedjaychik, that we'll talk about in round number three. But there's a lot of interesting fights on this card. Chiesa versus Pettis and uh, Lauzon uh, versus Chris Grutzenmacher uh, among them. But you look at this card and you got stuff like Ray Borg versus Brandon Moreno, Ally Akinta versus Paul Felder. Yeah, that's that's a crackerjack there. Uh, you know, you got uh, Ashley Evan Smith and Beck Rawlings, Alex Caceres versus Artem Lobov. Uh, so you look around this card and like, it's actually pretty solid, even though you lose the main event off this thing, uh, which obviously we'll talk about whether, how we feel about shelling out 60 bucks to, to watch this thing later in the show. Um, I also look at this thing and I see a lot of kind of like high stakes fights for people who, who need a win, uh, and, and could not bear perhaps to suffer a loss on here, Ben, who do you think would be the hardest luck loser on this card? Uh, if you look around this thing and you think, oh, wow, he, she needs to win, uh, if they if they suffered a loss here, that would be big for them. You know, in a weird way, I have to kind of say Joanna Yanjacek. Oh, wow. I was not even really including her in that group. I know but you like, I think that's a, if she that's a pretty solid answer. Two in a row to Rose Namajunas, it kind of crushes your whole you got lucky narrative, for one thing. And already, just in the time between, like, I will say the couple days worth of build-up before their first fight to this point, public opinion has changed a little bit with in terms of how people feel about Joanna Yanjaychik. And people, I think, felt like she was a little bit too much of the bully in the first one to the point where, and maybe Rose Namajunas' reaction to it, kind of like no-selling all the stuff that Joanna was trying to do, kind of highlighted that. But if you lose twice in a row to the champion, and if she stays the champion for a little while, the one thing we've seen is that it's tough to convince them to give you another crack at that. Then it looks like, I mean, she probably could go uh, up a weight class and have a pretty good chance of being a contender there pretty quickly. It's not like she's fallen into, you know, a 
point where you're even thinking about cutting her or you're thinking about her best days being behind her. But two in a row against the same champion there, that's pretty decisive. If you can't, if you can't come back and prove to everyone like that, exactly what you said, she just got lucky and had one good night and you had a bad weight cut or whatever you want to blame it on now, then that is a pretty sharp fall for Yuanna and Jacek, who pretty recently we saw as being just on the top of the goddamn mountain. Yeah, that's a good answer. Uh, also, maybe one that crushed our plans for round number three. Speaking <laughs> of being crushed. Next question this week comes to us from Virgil Runnels, a.k.a. the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. Okay, there Another, we go. Another uh, sports superstar writing us from beyond the grave. We appreciate that. R.I.P. Dream. He writes, uh, this weekend is Ronda's big debut in a wrestling sense. Do you guys think that Ronda will find success in this transition? And do you think there will be a large carryover of interested MMA fans? Uh, also, are you guys watching for any other reasons besides Ronda, possibly to try to poach any talent for your upcoming wrestling show? Oh, okay. We are putting on a wrestling show. That's right. Ben, May 4th, Missoula, Montana, live at the Mask Studios on the north side. Featuring a main event of Matt Riddle versus Montana native and up-and-coming professional wrestling star, uh, the darling of Ring of Honor, Travis Flip Gordon. Woo! So if you're within uh, driving distance of the sound of my voice right now, consider it. Come out to the Mask Studios Friday, May 4th, and Ben Folks will buy you a beer. That's what I heard. Anyway. That's what you spread. Yes. Uh, first of all, Virgil Runnels here, in his own presupposing... Suggest that I'm going to watch WrestleMania. Am I, though? Am I? I don't know. Are I you? I don't know. I mean, you I have in the I... past. Well, if somebody else gets it and I have nothing else to do on Sunday afternoon, I might go over and watch it. But probably not. Okay, well, here's, here's the most interesting tidbits from this question. Do you think Ronda Rousey could make a long-term future for herself in WWE? And uh, do you think that a large portion or any portion of interested MMA fans will cross the aisle and either buy WWE Network or seek out WrestleMania versus v via any of the, uh, you know, uh, traditional pay-per-view options? I'm sure that there will be some portion of the audience that is curious enough. I don't think, though, that the goal is to get the people who are like, I'm an MMA fan. I don't care about pro wrestling. But, hey, Ronda Rousey. OK, sure. Now I'll check it out. Those aren't the people you're going to get. By and large, the people you're going to get are the ones who are kind of, you know, straddling the fence there and they, you know, they've watched pro wrestling in the past. Maybe they've lost a little bit of interest in it. They also watch MMA. Maybe they feel the same way about that from time to time. But Ronda Rousey's still a big star. And okay, that might be the thing that kind of convinces you to pull the trigger where otherwise you were ambivalent about it. That's the people you might get. And I understand how a lot of the MMA fan audience is just baffled that anybody is even talking about Ronda Rousey now since she's in the WWE, she has a new career, she's not in the in MMA at all and seems like probably not going to come back. And yet I do think that there are a lot of people looking at her right now where she still seems like very unproven at that and wondering, okay, is this going to be, is the WWE just going to be another Roadhouse remake? In, in, in other words, like is this going to see something where Ronda Rousey tries to do it, if it doesn't work out, then maybe career options change. Like, does it have any bear possible bearing on an MMA future if it just completely crashes and burns? I feel like for whatever reason, on the MMA side of the aisle, a lot of people has a t have a tendency to look at both acting and professional wrestling 
as easy careers to get into. Yeah. We kind of acted that way about Rampage when he went off to try to do movies. Uh, we kind of acted like it was a foregone conclusion, uh, through the entirety really of Ronda Rousey's recent UFC career that eventually she would jump ship and go to Hollywood to be a big time action star. I don't know where that perception comes from. And I know that I've said this a time or two before on the show, but I will say it again. I feel like they are both more difficult than people give them credit for. And I feel like they are both just in terms of a lifestyle, uh, much more grueling and much more difficult than people realize. And I think especially for a person like Ronda Rousey, who like, you know, even if you go back in her bio or read her autobiography, uh, you will see like a long history of kind of feeling, uh, discontent wherever she happens to be. Like, you read her autobiography, and she doesn't really have anything nice to say about USA Judo. You know what I mean? Even going back to her childhood, she kind of felt uh, like an outsider, like she wasn't supported by the organization. Uh, then she gets into MMA and obviously uh, attains this huge stardom, but uh, suffers a couple of crashing defeats at the end of it, and now gives every impression of feeling like um, she feels uh, disrespected and not supported uh, by almost like the artifice of MMA itself. Like she just did this car wash thing over at ESPN this past week where she didn't even want to talk about her MMA career, uh, which from a standpoint of like going to do news related interviews to promote your next thing is ridiculous. Right. Like, your MMA career is the only reason why you're on the television right now. Yes. It's the only reason why you get to go de- make your debut at WrestleMania. It's the only reason why any self-respecting sports journalist even wants to talk to you right now is because you used to be famous at this this MMA thing and now you're trying to cross over to do WWE and like I think that's just a little hint to like the personality at work here kind of behind the scenes and it's really hard for me to believe that either lifestyle either acting or WWE will uh provide a long-term future for Ronda Rousey that she will be happy with and that is to not even consider the athletic part of of WWE and the very scant opportunities we've have we've had thus far to see her, you know, work as they say uh in WWE have have not looked tremendous. Yeah. Well, the thing I wonder about and this is as somebody who doesn't really watch it, but I've seen a couple of the clips of Ronda Rousey and it seems like she comes out at the WWE stuff and she's all smiles, she's shaking hands at ringside, people are really excited to see her there and she has this kind of like charismatic glow where everybody's supposed to be, oh, hey, here comes the hero Ronda Rousey and she's going to beat up a bad guy for us. And yet, I wonder if the WWE attempt at like who they frame her as, the character they present her as, will change if the fan attitudes about her don't line up with the way you want to present her. Because when she goes up and she, she shows up on stuff like that ESPN stuff and is just like, really cold the the moment anybody mentions any kind of MMA. Even when Max Kellerman is trying to just lob her a softball about it, where he talks about how he felt like people are unfair to her, she gets super mean to him. And you're like, this does not feel... Like, I don't... like There's a part of me wondering, are you doing a character now? Because it doesn't feel like the character they want you to be. If WWE fans start showing up with signs that say, Ronda Rousey fears Holly Holm, and people don't jump on board with Ronda Rousey as, you know, a face... Do the WWE people decide, all right, let's try something different? Because it might be easier to make Ronda Rousey into the kind of person who uh, is there, doesn't care what you think about it, and is going to drop somebody on their head. And don't you think it would be easier to like get her over if, if that was what you wanted to do? Because if you have watched any WWE programming almost in like the last decade, 
one of the things that the that the the fans really don't like are the people that WWE really really wants them to like, right? John Cena, Roman Reigns, these people that they that they're trying super hard uh to portray as like fan favorites and squeaky clean good guys. Like the fans love to boo those people. And again, it gets to the to the to the notion again of how Ronda Rousey will respond to that because clearly uh after being treated uh, poorly. I think, I mean, I don't think we're telling anybody anything that they don't already know in the wake of Ronda Rousey's loss to Holly Holm. She was treated pretty poorly, both by, uh, like fans on the internet and, you know, just like by the public at large. And she became the butt of a thousand internet memes. And so, like, if she goes over to the, to WWE for this, uh, so-called career that she's always wanted and she's a huge wrestling fan and lifelong dream, et cetera, et cetera, and she just gets greeted by booze and Amanda Nunez chants. Uh, what does she do? How does she respond to that? And like, does she stick around and like play it off as well as a guy like John Cena has? First, everybody would have to agree on how to pronounce Amanda Nunez before they, they could do the chant. They certainly couldn't listen to this show if they uh, wanted any clues. Uh, last question about this. Who's the better actor, Rampage Jackson or Ronda Rousey, based on what you see in other body of work? Ah, uh, boy, I don't know if I have a ton of, of, uh, tape to go to on Ronda. But like, it's Quentin Rampage. Jack- the Quentin- answer is Rampage. No, yeah, I was gonna say, like, Rampage was not a bad actor. No, right? <laughs> Surprisingly that's, not. The, the problem with Rampage was not the stuff that happened on the screen. It was this, all the stuff that you heard about going on when the cameras weren't running. Sometimes Dang. when the cameras were running and he was just supposed to be doing a normal interview with a person. Okay, well, there's Couldn't that. Uh, next question from Devin Scott this week. I know that there's a lot to talk about about UFC 223, so I have a question that kind of segues into UFC 224. It's been reported that uh, Rafael Dos Anjos is fighting Colby Covington for the interim 170-pound belt. Isn't Tyron Woodley coming back in July? If you could peer into the UFC policy book, <laughs> <laughs> good one. what do you think it stipulates as a criteria for an interim belt? Um, Because we feel like it. That's the only criteria. Because we want to put something on the poster. Right, I was just going to say, does the poster need some gold on it? Yeah, that's it. That's all there is. So all the people having lunch down at the at the press box bar and casino will look over the top of their Eggs Benedict or whatever and say, hey, is that a UFC belt over yeah. there on that poster? Just the shiny goldness of it will flicker in the periphery of their vision. Then they'll look up and they'll notice it. And then next thing they know, $60 gone from their wallet. I mean, we've reached the point of absurdity at this point, right? Just about... Absurdity. Huh? You Is that a word? Is there a Z in there? Absur- absurdisms? Absurdity? Ab- ab- absurdity? Anyway... I've been in some really tight triangle chokes wow. in my day. The voice keeps changing uh, the more you do it. <laughs> uh, because, well, you've got just, I know we're going to talk about this later, but the situation you have right now with the lightweight title where you've got Conor McGregor, who is the champion. You had Tony Ferguson, who was the interim champion, but might get stripped. This fight against Habib Nurmagomedov was for the real title. And then now that you've got Max Holloway coming up trying to be the champ champ, fighting uh, Khabib this weekend. Now you got Dana White saying it's the genuine championship or the, Whatever he said that it was. Uh, but even if you don't even consider quote unquote interim titles, you got like eight champs right yeah. now, just at 155 pounds. Well, see, this is what I wonder though, because the fact that they keep doing this in, in situations where it, the absurdity becomes you just, heightened. You didn't say absurd. <laughs> no, I'm making, trying to, I'm you're, now, fun you're, of now you. you're making fun of my pronunciation. Yes, I'm doing that on purpose to make fun of well, you. You sounded cool when you said it. <laughs> the fact that they, it seems, are doing it in less and less justifiable circumstances, there must be some kind of what, like a marketing metric that they have seized upon to tell them that it's a good idea. They must think that it does work to 
drive buys or to drive interest or something. Because we all inside the MMA bubble seem to keep talking about it and kind of agreeing that this is one of the things that the UFC has done to kind of undercut the value of its own championships, the value of the titles to get us interested in a fight just by the fact by the gold belt alone. And yet they keep doing it and kind of ramping up the intensity with which they'll do it. They must think they know something that we don't know about it, right? Uh, yeah, it's the only answer, really. Uh, and you, you, you wonder what they do have, what kind of metrics they do have. When this is all said and done, uh, you are going to be able to do a pretty cool championship tournament of champions at 155 pounds. You could, you could do like a 16 man tournament just if you took all of the current <laughs> champions and a few of the former champions and threw them all out there. Everybody bring your belts. Just, we're going to throw them, but first write your initials on your belt because we're going to put them in a big pile and you want to be able to find yours afterwards. Uh, next question this week comes to us from the Jesse White Deer. He writes, can you hear it now? The stampeding footsteps of Roger El Matador Huerta echo against the snowy mountains of Budapest as he plows through towards the Bach Center. Or BOK Center? Just say Bach. That sounds Bach good. Center. Yeah. All sound slows into molasses-like silence. Mothers shield their children's eyes from the piercing glare of, of El Matador, burning ever, El Matador's burning, ever-longing stare. But wait, out of the shadows, it's, it's the smooth one, Benson Henderson. He cuts through the air, landing just out of sight atop an old wooden shed. The darkness shallows then. He's here to do the Lord's bidding. He's here to win. He tilts his brow forward. His eyes marry Huertas. That's a nice image there. Oh, okay. Eyes marry yeah, Huertas. Poetic. I don't know if that's what he meant, but, uh, that's it what works. we got. Uh, both inch toward the other, but before either can put action into muscle, the ref asks, are you ready? They are. Now the question remains, are you? Now that was quite a journey. It really was. So you get, you do have. Roger Huerta and Smooth Benson Henderson fighting in the main event of, what is it, Bellator 196? That's right. This weekend uh, from Budapest. On the same weekend, we get UFC 223. The same weekend, we get uh, WrestleMania. Big weekend for uh, combat sports slash entertainment fans, if you want it to be. Uh, ben, is we talked about this last week on the all, the all Questions Considered episode of the show. Do you think that Roger Huerta versus Ben Henderson is just going to get lost in the shuffle of this thing? Kind of, but, you know, you're on a Friday night, right, as Bellator. So I I think that uh, it's just curious enough, just interesting enough. Like, as, like I just hear the two names together, and I kind of have to check my calendar. And that's, it, it seems in the past, when Bellator is at its most successful, it's with a fight like that. This one maybe not quite as sparkly as your, your Ken Shamrock versus Hoist Gracie's. Uh, but... I do, I gotta admit, like, I am a little curious on that one. I do kind of want to see that. Yeah, this one seems to me like one you, you're gonna want a DVR, if you got anything going on Friday night, and then maybe you circle back Sunday morning. After, uh, after breakfast, you've got a little time. Maybe you remember that it happened, and you're like, oh yeah, Benson Henderson, Roger Huerta, I'll go ahead and check that out. Might be a pleasing way to start your day. So you're gonna Sunday. record it Friday night, gonna wait all, wait till Sunday morning to watch it? Well, I mean, I'm probably gonna be busy the rest of the time. You're going to wake up Saturday morning and it's just your it's UFC weekends. 223 mode. You don't want to hear about anything else. So I get my seat down at the press box, bar and sports tavern, where I saw this gleaming gold belt on the poster. That's right. It's excited me so much I had to come back to, to watch the pay-per-view. Uh, what if Benson Henderson goes out there and loses to Roger Huerta in Budapest, Hungary? I mean, Is that... it would be a an Anthony Pettis-esque slide for Ben Henderson during his Bellator career, right? 
Uh, he, be like three in a row. Well, you Bellator. remember when he signed, we were kind of like, oh, that's a big deal. That's a yeah. big deal for Bellator. And now, like I said, you got him fighting Roger Huerta. Like, you know, not to, to degrade Bellator too much because every time they do a big, a big event, I feel like we need to give Bellator more attention, more credit. But like, uh, this is a pretty good matchup for them just to kind of scrape together out of nowhere. Uh, you know, when you just consider the what's out there, not under UFC contract for them to try to put prop, prop together shows. Uh, and, and yet, you know, it's, it's totally kind of going unnoticed. And, and if Benson Henderson loses, then the, what we once viewed as like a big time free agent signing for Belgor, uh, you might, you might, almost might want to put the nail in the, in the coffin, at least on how we view that signing. Not that it will be close to the end of, of Benson Henderson if he doesn't want it to be, but like, it will kind of be like, uh, a definitive answer about the importance of his, his move to Bellator, I feel. Yeah. In other words, he should probably go out there and win. Yeah, it's saying? probably one he wants to win and not lose. Okay. That's that's that concludes the sports analysis portion of this show. See, this is why a fighter wants to have that beer with you before the fight. That's right. Sit down with me before and I will let you know this seems like one you may want to win. Yeah. That's just that's free advice. You can't be giving that away. I know. I was charged for this. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this week's uh, listener mail. If you have questions, comments, or concerns that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. It's short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny. Sometimes you get the opportunity to win stuff in there. We're going to send out the rest of those hats this week, right, Ben? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hats will be in the mail. That's right. Uh, and if you don't like it, the newsletter, that is, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. I'm honestly at a bit of a loss, Ben, in terms of how to feel regarding Tony Ferguson's withdrawal from UFC 223 and now the inclusion of Max Holloway stepping up in weight to fight Habib Nurmagomedov for some version of the lightweight title. Not only because of the like specific stuff going on with this matchup, but also like how this injury withdrawal plays into the big picture of what is happening in mixed martial arts and how we are feeling about it at the moment. Uh, and obviously one of the things that complicates the situation is the UFC has this tremendous ability because of the sheer number of athletes that it has under contract to like replace an awesome fight when it drops out with another awesome fight immediately before they even make the announcement really. So now we have Max Holloway versus Habib Nurmagomedov, which seems like hashtag will watch. That's an amazing matchup. I still feel a little bit sad about the loss of Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov, which at this point seems like a fight that we will never see. And I have to confront this issue both in like in terms of the big picture in mixed martial arts and also as it pertains to UFC 223 and shelling out 60 bucks to watch this pay-per-view. How are you feeling at this moment about Max Holloway versus Habib Nurmagomedov. 
Have you made peace with it? Do you feel like it's a better fight than Ferguson versus Nurmagomedov? Or does part of you think, God damn it, we were so close? Well, I don't feel like it's a better fight. It is interesting, but it's also interesting in the terms of the context that it's in. Because Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov was a great fight just stylistically. Just where they both were in their careers, it seemed like this inevitable clash of two ascendant lightweights. The dynamic they had between them that we heard on that conference call where you don't even have to ask them any questions. They just start yelling crazy bullshit at each other and we eat it up. All that stuff made for what looked like it was going to be like the best fight of the spring, basically. And now that it's gone, and especially the way that it's gone, this freak injury from Tony Ferguson, who we are led to believe was on the set of like a TV show, saw someone he did not expect to see, veered over to say hello, tripped, injured his knee. Especially it happening that way, we have to make our peace with the fact that the MMA guys are just not going to let us have this one. There's no way. That sounds like a made-up way to hurt your knee, right? Like if that well, sounds if like something, make it up, wouldn't you make it up better? I mean, that sounds like something a baseball player would say when he got injured because he tried to iron his uniform while he was wearing it, right? <laughs> He'd be like, "Oh yeah, I, I tripped and fell over, and I hit my side on the kitchenette stove in my hotel room." No, man, you tried to iron your uniform while you were wearing it. Not that I'm trying to accuse Tony Ferguson of anything, but that this seems so ridiculous. That's why I, that's the only reason I believe it. Cause I think you would just, you would make up something more like less noticeable. You would make up something that seems like we could at least picture it. Like it happened in training, for example. Yes. There you go. Or like with Tony Ferguson, he can say, like, be like, I was uh, balancing on a, uh, yoga ball or whatever that was also on a treadmill while I was lifting weights because that's exactly the kind of shit he would do. He'd be, or like I was, you know, doing squats while holding one of those uh, giant truck tires over my head and having somebody hit me in the stomach with a sledgehammer and lo and behold, somehow I injured myself. Go figure. Like that would be something you could picture Tony Ferguson doing. This is just so fucking weird. But I made my peace with it now because at this point, I have accepted it. That we are not going to see this fight. Well, yeah, is it dead? Is, it, is this a dead issue? This was the fourth time, right, that they've tried to put this fight together. Dana White was asked if he would try to do uh, Ferguson versus Nurmagomedov again, and his response, quote unquote, was "Hell no." Uh, so and his our, word is bond. So <laughs> right, put that in a in a lockbox somewhere because that issue is settled. But if they tried to make this fight again, would we be in on it? I said I was 90, 90% sure that this was going to happen last week. I know. Yeah. We we're almost there. When you asked me. So if they tried to do this thing again, I feel like my response would be, no, nope. Call me on fight night. Yeah. No, that's what my response was going into this one. But yeah, no, I'm done with it. I don't even want to hear about it again. Don't even say the names like right next to each other like that again. I swear to God, I'll come across this table. You do that. I'm, I've moved on. The only thing that is kind of a little bit of a bummer about this because Max Holloway versus Nurmi, that's some shit you would do on the video game when you can start crossing guys over like divisions. That's a fight you put together just to see what the hell is going to happen. And that's awesome. And I love that Max Holloway was willing to step up and do this and really go for it. It reminds you why you love Max Holloway and how lucky we are to have him around. But also, Max Holloway on six days notice going up a division against Nurmi, maybe this is part of his calculations in it, 
it still it doesn't feel like you're getting the best possible version you can. And if he goes in there and he gets beat by Nermi, hey, he's still the featherweight champion. Everybody's going to still give him his due daps just for being willing to go and try and take that challenge on. So it's not like a, you know, it's almost a no-lose situation for him other than the bodily harm he faces against a guy like Nermi. Uh, but it doesn't feel like what we were promised, two of the best lightweights in the game are going to go at it. It's not quite what we're getting here anymore. It's just kind of fortunate that Max Holloway is such a damn savage that it still feels like it's going to be a lot of fun. I saw it posited on Twitter. I can't remember by who now at this point, but someone said uh, it might actually be to Max Holloway's benefit to take this fight on short notice. Uh, I believe he said he was staying in shape anyway. They asked him a long time ago, or it was floated a long time ago that he could be the replacement to step in if one of these two guys got injured. Uh, but I saw someone float the idea on Twitter that because Holloway knows exactly what Nurmagomedov is going to try to do to him. Uh, and Holloway's game is a little bit more diverse, a little bit more difficult to prepare for. Do you think that it could be to the featherweight champion's uh, advantage to take this fight on short notice in that Nurmagomedov won't be able to do a lot of prep for him, whereas he will know like the straight-ahead, somewhat reckless wrestling game of Habib Nurmagomedov and, and what that entails? I don't know how big a problem that would be, though, for Nurmi, because he does basically the same thing. He's just going to do – he's going to focus on what he's going to do. That's right. As everyone will always say in every interview if and, you ever ask him And he really does it though. Like he really will just go out there. And I think one of the things that is a vulnerability that we've seen in Nermi is that he is hittable on the feet in part because he's just constantly coming forward trying to take you down uh, and is not that worried about walking into punches. And I think that can get him into trouble against some people, but against Max Holloway, who even at featherweight, it's not like he has overwhelming striking power. He basically chips away at you and puts you away through volume and through gradually like upping the pressure like he did against Jose Aldo. And I don't know how well that translates to when you're going up a weight class. Like, is he going to be able to do that same approach against a guy like Nurmi, who it's hard for me to see Max Holloway wearing Nurmi down. Especially when Nurmi's in shape to go five fives, or at least he, he had better be, and Max Holloway took the fight like a week before. Not that we have been scoring huge with our percentages of late, but what percentage of a chance do you give Max Holloway of pulling off the upset victory here? Do we have odds on this thing? Did they even put odds out for the new revamped UFC 223 main event yet, or did this thing happen so haphazardly and close to the actual fight that they're not even there. Nope. Odds makers are all, all over it. Uh, Nurmi going off at around a five to one favorite. Okay. Max Holloway in the like high threes to four to one underdog. Do you feel like that's right? Or is that lopsided in some way? Given the circumstances, I feel like it's right. I don't, I mean, I still give Max Holloway, I'll give him a 20% chance. I mean, he's a good fighter. He's creative. He's a smart fighter. And he, I'm sure, has some plan in his mind for how he can defeat what Nurmi brings to the table. It's hard for me to see it happening, but I and I would be impressed if it happens, but I won't say that's impossible. I think that Nurmagomedov is, like, he has some deficiencies. He has some weaknesses that people can exploit. I just don't know if Max Holloway, especially in such short notice coming up from a, a lower weight class, is going to be able to exploit them. All right, well, plenty of talk about the ramifications of the new UFC 223 main event still to come. But right now, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me before we close out round number one. Ben, did you see that 
one of the infinite number of fights staged by organizations in Russia over the weekend included Ruslamar Paul Harris getting knocked out in the first round by somebody named Alias Hab Kurizev. Nailed it. Nailed it. Did you see that? I saw a headline. Yeah. Uh, Kiriev is now the interim welterweight champion of Fight Nights Global. Oh, okay. So that's a big deal. So is there like a ticker tape parade or? I, are you fucking kidding me? I believe is what. Okay, oh, that's what he gets. What he was awarded for that. Uh, a couple things to know here. One, Paul Horace missed weight by three pounds head into this fight. So he was actually not eligible to become the interim welterweight champion of Fight Nights Global. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. He started this thing off by getting kicked right in his head at the opening bell and then spent the rest of the very short fight desperately digging for a heel hook. Uh, he might have got it, too, had Elias Hob Kirziriev... Just continuing to nail it. ...had not he grabbed the ever-loving shit out of the fence with both hands, Ben. Both-handed fence grab. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Paul Harris now drops to 1-3-1 one, and one, dating back to his World Series of Fighting win over Jake Shields in August of 2015. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Sounds to me like somebody's in line for a Dundasso promotion after this. I mean, yeah. I mean, the kid went out there and probably earned a, earned a belt promotion. He's probably up to uh, a cutoff extension cord tied as, or with a knot. Wear that as a belt. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding That's me? your rank in Dundasso at this point. Well... My Are You Fucking Kidding Me goes along similar lines in another event in Russia this weekend. Whew. This one. M1, Infinite MMA. M1 Challenge 90 over there in St. Petersburg. Chad, do you know that Joe Riggs fought in this thing? Hmm. He came into this fight with Boris Polijay, uh riding a six-fight winning streak that dates all what? the way back to 2016. He hasn't, hasn't lost a fight in two years. Joe are Riggs. You, are you fucking kidding me? He goes out there, and this one fights to a draw. Oh. Still hasn't lost a fight since uh, February 2016 when he lost his last UFC fight uh, to Chris Camozzi. But the real are you fucking kidding me, as always, anytime you talk about Joe Riggs, guess how old Joe Riggs is now? Oh, God. Uh, 37. 35. Are you fucking kidding are me? Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding Joe me. Riggs has been fighting in MMA seemingly as long as MMA has existed. Somehow only 35. Wow. Are you fucking kidding me? You know, it just dawned on me, Infinite MMA would actually be a pretty cool name for a Russian mixed martial arts promotion. Yeah, there might actually be one called that. I mean, I'm sure there is. As many Russian MMA promotions as the stars at this point. (laughs) That's going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Chad, now that we've talked about how we came to be here, sitting here at UFC 223 Fight Week, and now it's Max Holloway versus Khabib Nurmagomedov for the real UFC lightweight title, let's take a second to consider a few things. I'm just going to state some facts. Whoa, stating facts? Number one, Conor McGregor won the UFC lightweight title when he knocked out Eddie Alvarez, has not defended it. It's been a little over 500 days since then. The UFC has declined to come right out and say Conor McGregor stripped of the UFC lightweight title. However, in March, Dana White did say that the moment the first punch was thrown in Ferguson versus Nurmagomedov, then 
it would be a fight for the lightweight title. Conor McGregor, at that moment, the first time a punch is thrown, ceases to be the lightweight champion. Okay, well, that's not going to happen now, right? However, Dana White also said, after announcing that Max Holloway was in for Tony Ferguson, that Tony Ferguson's interim lightweight title, which he won with a victory over Kevin Lee, goes away. It just goes away because he got injured before this fight and therefore could not fight. So Conor McGregor can hold on to a belt for 500 on the days. Tony Ferguson gets injured, can't fight. The belt goes away. Now, Max Holloway, the featherweight champion, will fight Khabib Nurmagomedov for the real, actual, undisputed UFC lightweight title. So neither one of them will have beaten... You know, the winner in this will be the champ, but he will not have beaten either the interim champ or the actual champ. He'll just be the champion. What the hell, man? I feel like I need a flow chart to follow all of the stuff you just said. Are we going to, is Dana White going to have a press conference this week where he just stands up there and reads all the names of the people who've been stripped of titles? Like a dictator just reading off the names of the... Yeah. disloyal senators he's had executed does he have the technology to make tony ferguson's interim lightweight title just go away can they just push a button and then like the belt evaporates from wherever whatever uh mantle it rests on at, at casa de ferguson or do they have sure. to send somebody over to the cat burgle the place cat burgle huh okay um and i imagine that that's probably matt hughes they sent over to climb a, in the black window tank top yeah a turtleneck yeah, yeah. That's what I mean, a black turtleneck. You can get yeah. a turtleneck tank top, right? Well, if you can't, I know what Dundasso clothing brand needs to make next. Uh, this one for me, I think we are, we talked a little bit about the proliferation of the interim titles. This one for me really highlights the way the UFC thinks of these titles as a, for a marketing purposes only tool. And when we've decided that it's not serving that purpose, then it goes away. We, we just decide that it doesn't exist for you anymore. And that, I mean, the one thing I think that this one kind of has going for it is that because it's so complicated and because, like, it is so convoluted, it encourages us not to think too deeply about it. Because it is an awesome fight, and we'd prefer to just focus on that and just talk about how rad Max Holloway is for taking this thing and stepping up and what a good fight it's going to be. And sure, you want to put a belt on somebody's waist at the end. I guess they're both really good fighters. We'll have a hard time saying that they're illegitimate as a champion. That's the best thing you can say about it, is that it just, the situation does not encourage us to spend too much time thinking about how ridiculous it is. No, you're right. After this fight, you could just erase the whole blackboard where you have the entire title picture of the light and featherweight divisions, I assume, written up there. You could erase the whole blackboard and you could say, okay, forget everything we've done so far. And then you just write the name of the winner yeah, versus like a, Conor a McGregor. stick figure and drawing. we'll all be happy, right? If sure. it's Conor McGregor versus Habib Nurmagomedov, fine. If it's Conor McGregor versus Max Holloway, even better in a lot of ways. Uh but we'll, we will, we will be perfectly willing to forget the rest of that bullshit and, and move forward, which is kind of a shame for everybody else, right? But these guys, they keep playing right into Conor McGregor's hands, don't they? Like Conor McGregor keeps saying shit like, I don't want to fight any of these guys because they're pullout artists. They're pullout merchants. They pull out at the last minute. And then lo and behold, not that we need to give the guy any more compliments, but he's right again. Just. Everybody just keeps playing right into the guy's hands. It's amazing. It's incredible. Well, 
He sees these things, Ben. He does. Apparently, he does see these things uh, because here is another one of these things, and it's happened right in front of our, our very eyes. Now, you mentioned maybe even better if Max Holloway becomes a champ, champ, mm-hmm. and then he can take on Conor McGregor, who now has none of his belts. Like, well, technically, by that point, have you know he's going to bring them all, though? <laughs> Unless <laughs> they send Matt Hughes to Dublin, yeah. he's going to bring all those belts. Oh, don't send Matt Hughes to Dublin. He might, he might not come back. I don't think you can. I think Matt Hughes is not allowed in Dublin, probably. They know a cat burglar. International cat burglar, yeah. Matt Hughes. Yeah, he's on Barred a watch from list the country. At the airport. Uh, it is kind of weird, though, because you're thinking about Max Holloway, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go out there and make history. How do I turn down this fight? And you're like, yeah, go Max Holloway. That's awesome. But then you also think, oh, wait a minute. The history you would be making is like kind of basically the same history that the guy who came before you followed and how did that turn out? Like, he went up and got his second belt, went from featherweight to lightweight, got both belts, became a champ champ, and now doesn't have either one of them. Right. Well, and, like, the, the original question, right, is how is it better, Max Holloway versus Conor McGregor? Like, Ma- Ma- Conor McGregor, assuming, right, this entire, we presuppose in this discussion that Conor McGregor will deign to fight anyone or either of these guys. Conor McGregor versus Habib Nurmagomedov would be awesome, period. No argument. Conor McGregor versus Max Holloway is better in the ways, in my opinion, because Holloway is a pretty engaging personality at this point. Like, we've all decided he's awesome, like, especially when he does shit, like, step in to fight Nurmagomedov on short notice for the lightweight title. I think that there is not only, like, a fighting spirit that we can all appreciate, but sort of like a throwback uh, vibe to his championship reign, the kind of thing you don't see in mixed martial arts all the time anymore. So you get that aspect that we've all kind of decided that Max Holloway could be a star. You get the rematch, Conor McGregor versus Max Holloway, that like the, the, uh, uh, the finished version of Max Holloway, the complete MMA fighter now fighting Conor McGregor. And you get the champ champ, the featherweight and lightweight champion versus the champ champ after a manner of speaking, the featherweight and lightweight champion. Like, I feel like that story kind of writes itself, does it not? It does. I mean, I think Nurmagomedov also is an engaging personality in his own way, where he's going to call you like a stupid guy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no denying that. There's no Um, denying that. Everybody loves Nurmi, which is a sitcom I'm pitching to TNT. (laughs) What would mean more as a challenge for Conor McGregor kind of coming back to MMA and being like, all right, I want to go back out there, reestablish myself, prove that I was really always the king of this shit all the way around and uh, you guys were just having fun in my absence and now I'm going to come back here and prove it to you. If he beats Max Holloway, do people just say, okay, you beat a blown-up featherweight uh, who became the lightweight champion in like a weird turn of events? Or does it mean more to go out there and beat a guy like Nurmagomedov? I think stylistically it, it means a lot more to beat Nurmagomedov because you would silence a lot of the critics – uh, about the wrestling, about you know what Connor's skill set really is, I feel like it's almost a bigger fight against Holloway though, just in terms of like the magnitude of what the event would be. Unless you could pull off McGregor versus Nurmagomedov in in Russia, in which case you would have an enormous spectacle on your hands. Uh, but but Holloway, for whatever reason, maybe I'm wrong. I just feel like he would provide the bigger, maybe the bigger payday and kind of like the bigger uh, in like the story of MMA. Holloway versus McGregor seems like a bigger deal to me at this point. Yeah. Uh, w- w- are we so far out now in in terms of uh, uh, like the craziness that we are not even considering what this does to the featherweight and lightweight divisions? Are we 
is that so much of an afterthought in the new world of the UFC that we don't even care? Or like, what happens now to Tony Ferguson? What happens to uh, Brian Ortega, who, by the way, sent a tweet saying he also offered to fight Habib Nurmagomedov at this event? Uh, what happens to Frankie Edgar versus Cub Swanson? What happens to Kevin Lee? What happens to all of these guys at both of these weights swirling around now waiting an unending amount of time for Conor McGregor, Habib Nurmagomedov, Max Holloway, and Tony Ferguson to settle all of their business? I mean, I think that you hit it, that we are in such a a mess with, like, this, we started out with, like, one kind of tacit acceptance of, like, okay, the lightweight champ is gone, so we're going to do the interim champ, and then we're going to decide that that one's for the real one, and so these little kind of baby steps toward deciding none of it really means that much anyway, we just want to see a fun fight, for God's sake, and put some gold on the poster, and we kind of followed that path to this point where we're just kind of throwing up our hands and saying, you know what? We can't even make a fight and reasonably depend on it happening. So maybe we're not going to worry about all the ramifications just yet. And we'll just deal with the, the mess that we've created. Cause you're right. For a guy like Brian Ortega, who said that he accepted this fight before they heard, before the UFC heard back from Max Holloway. And then he sees, like, not only does he have this opportunity to pop up in front of him, he says yes, that gets taken away. But then because of the way it gets taken away, he also has to wonder about the other opportunity he'd already earned and what's going to happen with that. Like It is a – when you put yourself in his situation, you realize, wait a minute. This kind of seems like you got screwed twice over the same issue. Uh, I don't know. I, maybe it won't end up mattering. Max Holloway goes up there and he loses to Nurmagomedov. People will give him his attaboy for trying, for, for being willing to take that risk. He goes back down. He's still the featherweight champion. You could still have a featherweight title fight again in a few months. Uh, maybe it all works out okay. Nobody's really, if Khabib Nurmagomedov is walking around undefeated with the lightweight title, nobody's going to be looking at him and being like, yeah, but it's bullshit because he didn't fight Conor McGregor to get it. Like, it'll, it can be worked. Yeah. I mean, we're, the reality of this situation is that Conor McGregor might end up holding out so long that win, lose, or draw, Max Holloway has to defend his featherweight title or win, lose, or draw, uh, Tony Ferguson still gets a shot at the winner of this fight to determine you know, who is essentially the, the, either the real champ or the number one contender, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and that, I guess, is assuming that we ever go back to the well on Tony Ferguson versus Habib Nurmagomedov or, no, give it or up. anything at all. Just the absence of Conor McGregor will, I think, continue to, to wreak havoc on this division. And, and you're going to see probably these guys fight other people, would be my guess. I need for you to take the part of yourself that is still holding out hope for Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov, and I need you to drown that part of yourself in a bathtub. Okay. Put it in a burlap sack and toss it out in the middle of a pond? That's right. Okay, will do. That's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, after discussing the insanity of the UFC 223 main event, the co-main event, the strawweight championship fight between Rose Namajunas and Joanna Jacek, seems refreshingly straightforward. At the beginning of the show, you mentioned Joanna Jacek as perhaps having the most to lose of anyone on the UFC 223 card. Uh, what about Rose Namajunas, though? You know, she wins the title pretty recently in an upset uh, victory over Yedjechik, and instead of giving her a different opponent or uh, 
really kind of putting any emphasis behind her title reign. Here we find ourselves in a rematch now against the former champion Yedjaychik in the co-main event slot here. Uh, does this feel like a do-over in some ways to you? Like, we kind of need Rose Namajunas uh, to make this shot again to prove that it was not luck the first time. Yes, that's basically exactly what we're doing. And you know what? It has seemed weird to me. Maybe it is because the UFC is not convinced that it can go ahead and get behind Rose Namajunas as the new champion, not convinced she can make the shot again. Because it seems to me like... Rose Namajunas won that fight. It was a huge upset. It was this great, shocking moment in the sport. And then it was like, we just hit like hibernation mode. We didn't really hear from Rose Namajunas. You didn't see like a big effort of the UFC really getting behind her and being like, hey, check out our new uh, you know, women's strawweight champion who has this like awesome personal story of getting to this point, doing the, you know beating the unbeatable Joanna Joanna and Jacek and, and winning the title. It just seemed like we kind of, Hit pause on the whole thing until we can make sure that this one's going to stick. Yeah, and that's surprising, isn't it? Considering that when you think back about Rose Namajunas coming out of the Ultimate Fighter and Dana White uh, sort of preemptively saying she seemed like, quote-unquote, the next Ronda Rousey, and then obviously, you know, still very early in her MMA career, she loses to Carla Esparza. Uh, it seemed like because of, uh, you know, the confidence or the excitement that they had about Rose Namajunas while she was still coming up in the world, I expected, like, more fanfare around her pulling off this big upset and becoming the strawweight champion. And maybe it is exactly what you said, that that uh, they just want to make really, really make sure that she is the best 115-pound woman on the planet before they put any kind of, like, promotional emphasis uh, behind her. But that makes me wonder, like, you know, does Namajunas actually have more to lose here than yet Jaychik does because and like frankly for some of the same reasons because as you pointed out you know you get that championship rematch if you lose it then it's a kind of sort of a long road back uh to getting a third crack uh at the title or getting your title back in in yet Jaychik's case because Namajunas already lost that title fight to to Esparza early in her career and and since then the entire story of her career has sort of been this like evolution or maturation process of getting back to a title shot and then she wins it against yet Jaychik if Namajunas loses this fight on Saturday night, then we have the perception of her win against Yajajic as, oh, maybe it was a fluke. Maybe she just landed a fortunate punch and then closed it out on the ground. Does it then become even more difficult for her at only 25 years old to secure an additional title fight after that than it would be for Yajajic? I don't know. I mean, you, then you'd have a rubber match kind of angle there that you could work with. Uh, and like you mentioned, she is, she's young enough. She could probably compete in more than one division there now that that's an option if she wanted to. So I, I wouldn't worry too much about where Rose Namajunas is going to go there if she ends up one and one with UNA and Jacek. How much do you buy, though, UNA and Jacek laying all this blame on the bad weight cut? And at a certain point, does it ever become counterproductive for her to just keep hammering this narrative? Like, are you better, even if you absolutely believe it, even if you're the fighter and you're a hundred percent sure bad weight cut, your, your advisors or nutritionists, whoever they screwed you. And that's entirely what's responsible for the loss. Are you better off at a certain point swallowing that and just kind of dealing with that knowledge yourself and using it to make future decisions rather than keep hammering it in the, the press to the point where, you come off like you're making excuses. I I mean I think so. Yeah, and it it almost 
reminds me of Cain Velasquez. Sea level Cain? Yeah. It reminds me of Cain Velasquez showing up two weeks early to fight in Mexico City and then losing that fight uh, to Fabricio Verdum and coming out afterward and being like, well, I really, you know, I just whew, underestimated the altitude. And like, uh, next time I'll do better and uh, we'll get it figured out. And my response is like, man, you've been doing this a long time and you're the champ. And we all expect you to handle your business in a professional way. How can you underestimate the altitude of Mexico City, which is literally the only thing anyone will talk about leading up to an event in Mexico City? For Yedjechik, it seems like almost the same thing. Like, you have been the 115-pound champion since 2015. And you are going for your sixth title defense against Rose Namajunas at UFC 217. Like, you know what it takes to get to 115 pounds. Like, it does not, it doesn't, let's just say it doesn't make me feel any more empathetic toward you as the long-standing champion and the most dominant force in this division for you to come out in the wake of this loss and, and blame it all on a weight cut. That doesn't make you seem more professional, and it doesn't make you seem like more deserving of a, a rematch, and it doesn't make you seem like more deserving of our uh, empathy, basically. I wonder how much of it is just you got to tell yourself something. You don't want to tell yourself that Rose Namunis is a better fighter than you are. And plus, if you went in there and you genuinely felt, you, you genuinely felt like you were off, um, I could see how maybe it, that idea starts to bloom inside your mind and it becomes impossible to get away from. I guess now in the rematch, though, Yuani and Jaychik comes into this as a slight favorite. She was a big favorite last time, this time a smaller favorite, but still the favorite, even after getting finished by Rose Namunis. Do you think that there's a lot, like a sizable, portion of MMA fans out there are also looking at this as like, yeah, you got lucky once, but you're not going to get lucky twice. Yeah. And Joanna Jacek was totally the darling of that division. And, and one of the, uh, you know, one of the darlings of the new UFC in a lot of ways. Like, I feel like we all liked what Joanna Jacek brought to the table as a fighter in the UFC. There was a lot of, uh, you know, attention on her as this sort of like anti Ronda Rousey figure in that she wasn't force fed to us. We didn't necessarily see her coming as the champion. She just kind of won the strawweight title and was very genuine, was, was like seemed very true to herself throughout her title reign and like, uh, you know, offered this, this like somewhat different to, for lack of a better word, gimmick, uh, from, from a, a women's fighter in the UFC and that she wasn't trying to be Paige Van Zant. She wasn't trying to be Ronda Rousey. Like she had a, a, a different appeal than the kind of fighter that the UFC normally likes to put a lot of its promotional weight behind. Uh, and so I think that, you know, and every, on top of that, everyone expected her to beat Nama Yunus in their fight. Uh, and it makes me wonder what will happen if she wins this one. Will we just sort of pick up where we left off and like go on uh, with, you know, feeling positive feelings about Ioannia Jacek and that she's this really dominant uh, force and no one can hang with her striking and, and we, we are really in favor of her, think of her as a future star? Or has our perception of her been changed either because of that loss or because, like you said earlier in the show, uh, maybe we saw the sort of bully uh, attitude of the champion become a little bit more unbearable than we had seen in the past? I think just... A variety of circumstances have kind of convened and people's attitude have changed. I think that it's, they will have a different uh, feeling if she comes back, gets her her title back here against Rose Namajunas. I think, like, how could you not be a little bit sad for Rose Namajunas if that happens? You know, you it's like 
you know, her rocky moment, and then Apollo Creed is like, okay, but I'm going to get my shit together this time and really beat the hell out of you. Uh, I mean, that would be a little bit sad in the way that the fight game can just be naturally sad. Uh, I do wonder, though, if Rose Namajunas wins this fight, is it, okay, Yuena and Jacek, first thing she does is move up a division, and now we can start to have some fun sorting the pecking out pecking order out there. Because right now uh, you look at like women's flyweight and it's, we talked about last week when we were finally ourselves browbeaten into accepting a question about Nico Montano. And there is that sense that we don't, the, the order hasn't really solidified there. We don't feel like we know exactly where everybody is going to stand throwing you in a chicken into that mix could be a whole lot of fun. Could it not? Yeah, and I think like she has some really good options no matter what happens here. Uh, Nama Yunus, in fact, could also maybe have some good options still moving forward no matter what happens here. It will be interesting to see, though, just because we have seen, uh, you know, a, a wide diversity of how these dominant champions, uh, and, and kind of budding stars accept their losses in the UFC. Clearly, uh, we saw Ronda Rousey do it about as, as weirdly and, and arguably badly as anybody in the history of sports, really, handle her defeats. Uh, and on the flip side of that coin, we've seen Conor McGregor handle his defeats about as well as anyone, with as much class as anyone, and has been kind of able to uh, preserve the Conor McGregor mystique moving forward, even though we've, you know, we saw him get choked out by Nate Diaz. We saw him uh, get beat up by Floyd Mayweather in a boxing fight that he looked sort of ill-prepared for, and yet he's still this huge deal. He's still Conor McGregor. He still has this panache about him. Like, he's still the biggest star in the sport. We're still super psyched to see what, if anything, he does next. And for Yajajic, I think it'll be interesting to see, like, how she returns in this fight, having handled the, you know, the sting of that original loss. And, like, win, lose, or draw for her, it will be interesting to see where she goes from here. Because she could just go up to flyweight, uh, or carry on as the strawweight champion, depending on if she wins or loses. But at the same time, either of those uh, realities, I guess, depends on her like psychological state and how she handles the, you know, the Nama Yunus feud and then like picking up the pieces and moving on almost. And we've learned through experience that almost anything could happen one way or the other. Well, I'm excited now. Do you want to do just saying stuff? And then we will get out of here for this. Yes, I do. Ben, what's just saying? What's your just saying stuff for this week? Well, I don't know if you saw Khabib Nurmagomedov's response to the news that Tony Ferguson was out on Instagram. He goes down there. I post a picture of himself just in like headgear and boxing gloves uh, with the caption, Tony, heal up, man. Just want to advise you. Don't talk too much anymore. A lot of thoughts in my head right now, but I don't want to become like you. Hope this lesson will teach you watch your mouth. Oh, wow. So, P. Khabib. I'm just saying, you know what? I don't think this lesson is going to teach Tony Ferguson that. I don't think if indeed he did suffer a freak knee injury turning to go say hi to someone, I don't think that he will take from that that he should watch what he says. I'm just saying. Just saying. Ben, this I want w- to advise you is also going to be a, a thing I say when I'm about to say something insulting to you in the future. <laughs> uh, be, ben, this week I'm just saying I think I've got the answer here to all these injury problems in the UFC. Oh, good. We just clone these motherfuckers. Huh. Let's, let's clone right. Habib and clone Tony Ferguson so we have about six of each of them. And then depending on how you want to play it, if you need Tony Ferguson to go make a final television appearance on a particularly dangerous obstacle course of a television set, 
you send Tony Ferguson number four. Then you still got five other Tony Fergusons to go around in case Tony Ferguson number four spots a lucky penny and blows his knee out trying to pick it up. You also could take two Habibs and book them in a fight against each other. Because you know one of those Habibs is not making it to the fight. But the other one, he could still be around to fight the four Tony Fergusons. I'm just saying. It seems easy to me. It seems like an elegant fix. I'm just saying. It's so brilliant. I wonder why no one thought of it before. I don't know. So once again, giving this stuff away for free that I should be charging for. What do you do if you get all your Tony Fergusons mixed up and you can't remember which one is the first, the real one? They all think they're the real one. They all think the other guys are the clones. It doesn't matter. Just throw a Tony Ferguson out there and have them fight a Habib Nurmagomedov. Do we have to like drown one in a tank like in uh, the Prestige? I think we just better make sure they don't get loose. Okay. That would be the only problem. You don't want six Habib Nurmagomedovs running through the casinos down there in Vegas. I don't know if you've ever seen him like post uh training pictures like with his like cousins and stuff in like when they're all like in the gym like in Dagestan. Are you telling me that there's already six it Habib Nurmagomedovs? It kind of seems like there might already be like six of them. Okay, well then new idea. We have a Habib Nurmagomedov understudy okay. who's ready to step in if he gets injured. Just saying. Just saying. That's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at UFC 223. I don't know, assuming that it happens. And then we will look ahead to what is it the following weekend? Uh, UFC on Fox? I think we got a UFC on Fox coming That's up. That's right. That's where we got Dustin Poirier versus uh, Justin Gaethje. Knock on wood. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. So for you, what was the highlight of the water park? Uh, I think it was my daughter screaming in terror. You were there for this. We went on the family raft ride together. That's right. Uh, my daughter being so terrified to go on it once we, we got up to the top that she was like crying and screaming. And then I had to talk her down, right? Being like, it's going to be fun. There's plenty of kids here. This is the family ride. Look, I, look I, it's a whole family of mooses. I did appreciate you held her up so she could see the sign. Going, that's family going down. Raft ride. And then we went down it and it was terrifying. Like you and I were on the raft with our children. We misloaded the, the weight on the raft. It felt like we were going to flip over. I thought, 